because um, we're told that something's wrong with us. And I think that's a problem with our uh, healthcare system in a lot of ways. We over-medicalize things. You know, we talk about degenerative disc disease and people think that they're going to have, you know, major problems because of that. And uh, I, I'm a big analogy guy, as you found out. And uh, I love the, the analogy of wrinkles and how as we age, we get wrinkles on the outside. That's just the way it is. And just because you have wrinkles, we don't look, go out to, you know, uh, the grocery store and say, that person's wrinkles, therefore they have pain. That person's wrinkles, therefore they have pain. That person doesn't have wrinkles. They must be feeling fine. We're not saying that, right? Wrinkles just happen. Right. Um, but as we age, things on x-rays and MRIs, we look at them and say, oh, they got DDD. They got degenerative disc disease. They must have pain. You know, that's the reason for their pain. And it's just not the, not the case. Food is more than just energy. It is information. And Ooh, that's good. Um, this is a revolution to fight for truth, fight for the people who trust us with their health, and fight for research-backed action. This is a fight to purge baseless trends and customs in healthcare. This is a revolution to change the steps of healthcare from reactive medicine to preemptive medicine. Our vision is to be the catalyst for a system of proactive healthcare versus reactive healthcare. This is Impetus Health. Welcome to Impetus Health, um, the podcast that's talking about all things healthcare and um, how we want to see healthcare change and move in the future and try to give you guys and ourselves some great education on what is good health and good healthcare practices look like. We have Mr. My, one of my best friends in the world, Mr. Kyle Thibodeau on today. Kyle is a doctor of physical therapy. He has a, uh, a certified strength conditioning specialist CSCS. We actually got our CSCS at the same time. You got yours a little bit before me. And he is an orthopedic clinical specialist as well. And that's another physical therapy certification. Um, but Kyle is well-versed in all things the body. Um, he is incredibly knowledgeable on topics. I, I'll call Kyle just to ask him questions all the time and see what he thinks about it. So we're super happy to have you on, man. Thanks for being on the show. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. And what's your uh, physical therapy's clinic, the name of your clinic? Yeah, it's uh, Refine PT and Performance. Mm-hmm. Okay, in Mobile, Alabama. So if y'all are in Mobile and you need yep. help, he's the guy to go to. Him and Tyler Vaughn. And appreciate the yeah. appreciate the shout out there. <laughs> All right. So Kyle, real quickly, man, give us a little bit of your background of kind of like where you came from, high school days, how you how healthcare, not really healthcare, but just tell us a little bit about your about your background and how you wanted to get into physical therapy and knowing about the body. Yeah. So um, growing up, played sports. Um, obviously with sports most likely going to have some type of injury at some point, uh, playing year round with everything. So, um, got hurt, tore, uh, MCL, PCL in my right knee and, uh, football in high school. And so, uh, started to dive into, I guess, the healthcare realm a little bit more and wanted to be orthopedic surgeon at first. Um, and then I got to college and realized that I think I was doing that maybe for the wrong reasons, more for status and that sort of thing. And, um, actually, um, some, some big things happened in my life in college. Um, my mindset changed and my, my heart was changed from the inside out. I became a, a Christian and, um, some things changed to where that was no longer necessarily my, um, uh, my long-term goal. And, uh, my heart changed and wanted to be a PT and engage with people. So I went to physical therapy school and, uh, met old Sean Hiller and uh, started really just digging deep into um, 
PT and, and pain and um, how I could help people. And that's uh, kind of where I am now. Yeah. Awesome. That's, that's awesome. And again, I'll say Kyle is super knowledgeable about, man, there's so many things in the PT world. I remember going through school and I would ask you if I had a question about something, I would ask you and you would try to clear it up for me. It was incredible. Um, Kept him in line. You did. But, uh, <laughs> Annoyed him um, too. And you, you ministered to me incredibly too, and you changed my eternity as well. So thank you for being God's tool to use. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, man. Love so you, brother. What, we, what we want to talk about today is pain. And pain is something that is really misunderstood in, um, in the scientific world. We don't know as much about pain as we, would, we like to say we do um, sometimes. And uh, I know you've dove into pain so much more than I have. And I want to learn from you and ask you some questions about pain. And I think one of the things that a lot of people want to hear, whether they're um, having uh, pain, just got a random pain or chronic pain or maybe post-surgical pain, whatever type of pain they have, um, trying to think of the questions that those guys want to know to clear up maybe how they're feeling a little bit. So um, if you could tell us a little bit about kind of how you got into pain, wanted to learn more about pain. Why was that an area that you thought very beneficial to learn about and start diving into a little bit how pain plays a role in the body, if you can. Yeah, so uh, kind of like I said, I think I didn't really have an interest in pain until I realized I was going to be working with people in pain for, for my career. Yeah. And so, uh, so I, I think it's probably important for me to uh, dive a little bit deeper. And, um, you know, we start to define, like, what does a physical therapist do? Uh, what does a personal trainer do? What does a massage therapist do? And all these different things. And I think the background of the PT, um, you know, we, we do a lot of manual work. We do a lot of exercise. We do all these different things. But I think the, the differentiator um, between, you know, me just being a personal trainer is my, my knowledge of pain and how to help guide someone through their pain experience. So that allowed me to really dive into that and really see the, the complexity of pain. Um, and I felt like it was imperative for me to learn that so I could um, help people navigate um, that experience specific to what they're going, what they have going on because it's very uh, individualized and um, there's not so easy as, you know, what we tend to think in society of, you know, damage equaling pain. It's not that simple. Um, so just want to dive deeper to be able to help more people really. So that's kind of why I, started digging deep into the research and that sort of thing. Yeah. So diving into the research and kind of figuring out what were, what was the, some of the common themes that you were finding with pain that you would, you would try to implement in the clinic when you would see a patient who was in pain and you would try to describe it to them. Yeah. I would say, uh, you know, we're still learning a lot about pain as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of stuff we don't necessarily um, understand, um, but we've, we've come a long way and, the definition of pain is constantly uh, evolving, um, you know, decade to decade as we learn more and more. And um, there's certain, you know, phenomenon that we can't uh, explain. And then we start to dive deeper into it. And so then we start to have a different definition. So it's really, it can get really complex, but uh, to keep it really simple, um, I think, and, and more relative to uh, the listeners out there, hopefully uh, we have some listeners to this one. Hopefully, they don't. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't uh, deter them away when they say pain. But um, as far as keeping it very relative to our listeners, I think the, the main things are, are the myths that we have in society of, um, you know, you have a rotator cuff tear, therefore you need to have surgery. You have a meniscus tear, therefore you need to have surgery. You have all these, you know, disc bulge, therefore you're doomed for the rest of your life. You have degenerative disc disease. Um, I mean, we're all going to have degenerative disc disease at some point. I mean, it's just a, and 
it, we, we've created this disease that's not really a, a disease. It's just a, a, a normal part of aging. Um, so we've, that, I think that's the main thing that I've learned that's been important uh, for me to shift uh, my framework when I first learned that to be able to empower people and let them know that, hey, like you are not, you know, your scan, your x-ray, your MRI. Um, you're not you're not that um, there's there's hope for you. Um, and there's lots of different ways to c- combat pain. And that, that may or may not be the reason for your pain. Yeah. And you got me thinking to get the we talk, we have the conversation in the clinic and I know you do too all the time about MRIs and, and things like that right. someone comes in and they're honestly, the MRI will terrify someone, you know, and that there's studies on uh, you have an MRI and your pain levels go up just because you've seen the structure and all of a sudden you've right. identified yourself with that structure being affected and i was trying to pull it up um while you were talking about that but there was just a study that come out and you might have seen it on cervical neck um disc and uh, i'm trying to find it but basically uh what they were saying in the study i think i've got it right here yeah um i think so so basically i can't find it exactly but basically what they were saying was it was one of those you know another study that we see all the time where they took like two to 3,000 people. I can't remember the exact number. And yeah. uh, none of those people had pain. They were all asymptomatic. But 72% of them had some type of cervical disc bulge or even a herniation, but nobody had pain. And then they see yep. the results and they start having a little bit of pain. So dive into that a little bit. How pain is totally perceptive, like um, somatosensory. Tell, tell, like how does pain, how would you relate pain to, um, to someone who comes in and they say, cow? Um, my doctor says I have a, a L4, L5 disc bulge, and that's why I have my back pain. What do you? What kind of conversation do you try to have? Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I think it is it is very specific to the person and where they're at and their understanding of pain. Um, so I, I definitely tailor it specific to to the individual who's in front of me um, and where they're at. If you know if they're fearful, if they're not, and all of these different mm-hmm. things. Um, if I want to dive into certain conversations or not too. So. It's definitely individualized, uh, and I'm sure it is on your end too, but um, I usually have to de-educate in some way, like we talked about. You know, they come in with an MRI or an x-ray and say, hey, this is my problem. Can we fix this structure or whatever? And I have to uh, de-educate them in the sense of, hey, this we don't need to hone in on this one thing, uh, most likely. There's there's research on on the low back specifically showing that only 10% of the time can we identify one single structure or, or the actual area that's causing the problem. Mm-hmm. So that's why we call it non-specific low back pain. It's not saying that there isn't some type of structure. It's just the fact that we can't identify the structure and neither can your extra MRI. Yeah. So there's no real reason to actually get it if there's no red flags. Mm-hmm. Um, red flags, you know, past, you know, past history of cancer, night pain, um, all these other things. So we are, um, you know, we're, we're learning, learning more and more, but, uh, right now, we, we cannot identify a single structure, and there might not even be a structure involved. So um, I treat based off patterns. I don't treat uh, based off of, of the structure itself. So um, I de-educate usually first, and then I start to educate what pain actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, and just going through that, um, I like to start off with, you know, pain is actually a, a good thing that we can experience it. Um, if we can't experience pain, um, we're going to have some problems because pain ultimately is a protective mechanism. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you step on glass, you're going to want to know, like, you don't want to step on glass and, and bleed out. Like, that's not, that's not cool. Right. So we, we, we want to know, um, when we have pain, I think that's, that's a beneficial thing. Um, just based off protection, yeah. um, a lot of people will, 
use the analogy of an alarm system. Um, you know, sometimes the alarm system can go off um, if there's been too many, you know, signals um, too, too often, um, the alarm system can become more sensitive and they, they start to describe um, pain in that way. But I, I go into some of those analogies um, just into showing that, hey, pain is a good thing first off, but sometimes pain can be, um, it can be, your, your body can be oversensitive to certain signals and produce it even when there's not really a threat. So pain is really based off of perceived threat. And so I'll go into some of those different um, analogies as well and talk about the difference. I don't really use big, I try not to use big words like nociception, um, <laughs> but we have to differentiate between nociception and pain. And for the sake of the podcast, um, you know, we have these, these nerve receptors called nociceptors that help with, um, they help regulate different temperatures like noxious, um, I guess, elevated uh, threshold temperatures, uh, for instance. So we call that mechanical, thermal, and chemical um, nociceptors. And as far as the mechanical ones, you know, you have light touch. Let's say that I, I, I um, was touching uh, uh, Sean's shoulder. And I was lightly touching it. Um, not going to think that's causing any pain. It's just picking that up, sending it to the brain. But if I press deep enough, it's going to produce some type of, um, you know, produce some type of pain or, or something uh, if I press deep enough. And so those nociceptors are actually sending signals up to the brain because um, I'm pressing really hard. Um, then you can go into the thermal. And I think the best analogy is uh, a hot shower. I've, I've gotten a lot of these just from my readings from Jared Hall and Adrian Lowe and some other guys and uh, uh, explain pain. But uh, a hot shower, you know, the, when you first step into a hot shower, um, your body's not ready for it if it's if it's hot enough, right? And so you're like, oh, man, I gotta I gotta wait. And then you start to you know, slowly introduce your body introduce your body to that the heat um, from from the water, and then that same temperature is tolerable, and you realize it's not a threat. And so um, I like to use you know that analogy as well. And then getting into the chemical, you know, like if there's a bruise or you know some type of scab, even just a light touch, uh, there's you know there's chemicals around that area. Um, cause it's trying to heal and just even a light touch to that spot can, um, cause some, some changes there just with the chemical, chemical piece. But I don't always go into those, those specific things with everybody, but just for our understanding on the podcast, yeah. um, that's more like the nociception piece. Um, but pain is actually, can actually be totally separate from that. There's, there's a piece of nociception that can be involved, but it doesn't have to have that process to actually experience pain. And, this is the stuff that's mind blowing to me. And I think it's so cool. And I, I'm a nerd just as Sean is and, and Ellie, I'm sure. Um, She's a nerd. I know, I know Ellie's a nerd too. <laughs> uh, with certain things, maybe not on pain, but on, on nutrition and exercise and all of that health. I, well, I'm sure you're a nerd if you, if you married Sean. <laughs> yeah. Well, we are both nerds. But um, I, have a question. I have a question on that real quick, just out of curiosity. When people talk about their pain tolerance or pain threshold, is that something that is like nature or nurture? Like, are you born with that? Or like, yeah. is that something that if you have like chronic pain, you kind of like just adapt and become accustomed to that? Or I, I don't know. That's a hard question. I don't know if I have a, I don't know if I can answer that question and say it with hundred percent certainty. Yeah. But I do think that people have different pain tolerance, tolerances. I do think that's the case, mm -hmm. but there's no way for me to truly measure that. Um, yeah. except for subjectively 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's like, you know, pain pressure thresholds and stuff we could get more objective with. But subjectively, um, you know, people always, there are, are a very, 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 very small amount of people who come into the clinic. Sean, you tell me if this is true, who say they have a low pain tolerance. You yeah. always hear like on the eval day, I have a high pain tolerance. So my scale is going to be different than everyone else. And that's the main thing we get. Um, and yeah. so when you hear that and then you see people react differently, some people might say, you know, I have a high pain tolerance and something that looks very simple is a five out of 10 for them or whatever. And then the next person says I have a high pain, high pain tolerance and it's a one out of 10 mm-hmm. um, and for the same thing. And so it's very specific to the person. Um, but there are some studies looking at some uh, persistent chronic pain um, conditions, I guess you'd call it, and how their body does respond differently mm-hmm. to stimuli um, causing pain to, to be, to be uh, I guess, experienced more often. Yeah. Um, and so not- like fibromyalgia and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, some of those people do have, uh, I guess their their body potentially is. Um, I guess we're still learning. It is still more prone to experiencing some type of pain. I guess the threshold could be lower for mm-hmm. producing some of these uh, messages and the brain perceiving it a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to dive too far down the rabbit hole, but quick question: like in the same way that someone adapts to a hot shower when they ease into it, is that the same with? with pain like if you have a chronic pain problem does your body adapt to it and like lower the scale or does it or is that just subjective too i think it could go either way um i think go either way and so my analogy with like and this i hope this is, is relative like progressive overload principles just in rehab i'll always use like the reading level analogy um like we're in second if we're in second grade let's say we have little ellie in second grade and little Ellie is trying to learn how to read better. Um, you know, we can't read 12th grade and we can't read kindergarten. Right. Uh, if we read 12th grade, it's going to be too too much stress and we're not going to be able to adapt. Same thing with reading kindergarten. It's too easy. There's no, there's no stress there mm-hmm. that's really going to allow for adaptation. And so if we read third or fourth grade, maybe fifth grade for – or sixth grade for Ellie um, and second grade, I'm sure, advanced reader, um, <laughs> we, we could challenge um, her a little bit more to where you adapt. At. In the same sense, I mean, that might be a bad analogy in some ways, but that's, yeah, that's, that's the analogy I use for building strength uh, when it comes to pain. Totally different. But if we always are pushing into pain for the chronic pain patient, sometimes it can keep things sensitive where we actually have to, to bring that back. Um, whereas in, in some people, they can actually build up tolerance to certain things mm-hmm. and allow them to be more resilient and not experience it. So I think it is very specific to the person and what they have going on. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Great question. Though. Yeah. That's good. Thanks, and that leads us into the most common question. Well, one of the most common questions that I'm sure you get, and I get too, is can I push through this? Is this, is this something I can push through? Is this, do I need to keep going? And I think you yeah. nailed it when you said it's very, subject, it's very individualized and personalized on that yeah. approach. And there's some, I mean, there's some things that happen with the body that it's probably fine for us to really push and really get after this and kind of warn the person if they're able to say, Hey, this might not feel the best, but this is going to be better in the long run. And that's another right. almost psychological thing you have to kind of pick out. So when are they, is this the type of person who can, who can take that approach or is yeah. this someone who's had this issue for 10 years and we don't want to add more sensitivity to it. And we may call it a day after they've done, you know, something that they're happy, something they're proud with start to curve. Right, right, right. That pain feeling, so I totally get what you're saying. And the, what, sorry, go ahead. 
No, I'm just saying, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm totally there. And it is individualized to the person. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's fun to navigate. It is. Yeah. I wouldn't know. Oh, it's fun. But <laughs> um, I'm saying, I think it's, I think it's very cool. Um, uh, I guess it makes it it's fun to navigate people's, you know, different personalities and, and different responses to things. Yeah. Um, if it was all, you know, cut and dry, there's, there's an answer. We really wouldn't need us, you know, mm-hmm. like, there wouldn't be a need for relationships. It'd be here to shoot a paper or go do it, you know? Right. Yeah, that's right. Um, so kind of moving on a little bit into some of the, really the most common thing that people ask about with pain. Well, one of the things is what role do you believe that medication plays in curbing or helping pain? What do you, how, that, how do you have that conversation about painkillers or medication as far as that goes with pain? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I want to go, I want to go back real quick. Okay. And, and just talk about what pain is still. So the nociception piece, we talked about that, you know, some type of noxious stimulus that sends messages up to the brain. Um, the higher processing centers in the brain can decide if it's threatening or not. If it's threatening, they produce pain. If it's not, they will not. Um, so we won't, we won't actually experience pain unless we, our brain considers, considers it threatening. So I like to use a couple other analogies um, for understanding pain and, and threat and perceived threat, I guess you'd say. Um, so with that, I like to use the ankle sprain analogy, uh, you know, walking across the street, let's say you're walking across the interstate and you sprain your ankle, but there's no one on the road. Do you think that you would have pain or not? And most people would say probably so um, there's no cars coming. Right. So it hurts. You hop across the street. You know, you get across, you're still hurting, blah, 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 right? Next, you walk across the street, across the interstate. It's really busy. You're running out, trying to, you know, get before the, before the 18-wheelers come. Um, you're trying to run across real quick. You sprain your ankle. You fall down. In that moment, do you think that you experience pain or not? Um, you have 18-wheeler coming at you. So is the ankle sprain more threatening or is the 18-wheeler more threatening? And I think most people would say, hey, Something's going to kick in. You're not going to care. You're not going to experience pain there. You're going to get across the street regardless, right? And you hear some of those crazy stories. Um, So that just goes to show it's based off perceived threat. When you get across the street, there's no more threat of the 18-wheeler. Pain may be experienced from there. Um, Also going into um, phantom limb pain. You know, people have, um, you know, amputee. They have their, you know, below, below knee amputation. Um, but they still have pain in the foot that's no longer even there. So we know that we know that it doesn't require some type of of message from from the bottom up all the time. That's not required. We can produce have pain produced in our in our brain uh, as, as an output uh, without even having some type of sensory information coming in. So moving from understanding those concepts into medication, um, we have to look again at the individual. I, I personally never, I'm, I'm a minimalist and, and uh, Sean, you know that I'm a minimalist to the extreme. Um, and so with that, I definitely do not like taking medication. I don't like my patients taking medication. Um, I do think that medication can be effective in curbing, uh, you know, and, and relieving and relieving someone's pain. Absolutely. But um, is that the, is that the best route to take? You know, are we, are we just masking something or are we actually like, you know, eliminating something. That's, that's where we're at. And so 
you know, if someone never takes any pain medication um, and they take it one time, it, it eliminates it, it never comes back by all means. Like, I'm not going to tell you, Hey, don't take that. I still don't like medication, but you know, I'm not going to tell you not to, but when it comes to the point where people take medication over and over and over and they take it every four hours and, you know, for four hours, there's, um, you know, pain relief of, to some extent. And then that four hour windows up and now their pain's back to where it was. And it's just a continuous cycle and the pain always continues despite taking the medication. I think that we have to say, look, pain medication is just helping relieve it a little bit. There's something else going on and we have to do something about it. We can't just keep taking this medication. So yeah, it's a split answer, individualized, but um, I hope that answers the question. Yeah. That's, it's so fascinating to me because it just like clicked when you said pain doesn't always start from like the bottom up, you know, like we would in the hospital, we would have patients who were brain dead. Everything else was operating perfectly. And we would jam a pin, sometimes like a needle into their toe and wouldn't flinch at all, you know? And it's just fascinating, like how, how much it's in the brain, you know, Mm -hmm. all like, yeah. It's just so yeah. interesting. Like there wasn't even a tiny movement. And I mean, we, we knew why that was happening, but I mean, their body just didn't respond. So shows it's fascinating. Yeah. Shows how complex it is. is. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And I'm going to, something too that I, when, and we're getting the tick down on the zoom call right now. We have the free version. So Uh-oh. it's down. We got to sit I, don't, I don't think it will actually shut off because it's only two people. Okay, well, we will find out either way. Um, but um, one of the things that we try to, I try to say about pain, tell me if you agree with this, or I really want to know. Um, if, we have some, if I have someone who is not sleeping at all and they're asking yeah. for pain medication, I'm, basically my recommendation is take, let's take the lowest dose or take something that will allow you to sleep just because of the importance of sleep right. for your recovery. Do you agree yeah. with that or would you try to say something? I'm cool with that. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> um, I guess it, it depends on the person again, but yeah, most of the time, does. yes. Yeah. So the main things we talk about, um, I, I talk about the low hanging fruit and just health in general. Mm-hmm. Like, if we're here for orthopedic condition, a lot of times we claim that orthopedic things are actually um, truly orthopedic things, but they're actually health problems, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so, especially when you look at like frozen shoulder, uh, we know the, the risk factors for frozen shoulder are you know, type two diabetes and obesity and you know some waist circumference things. And so mm-hmm. it's way more complex. We, we think it's just some, you know, the, the capsules getting tight of the shoulder, but really there's some underlying health issues that are probably contributing to the problem or yeah. the actual only contribute. I don't know. Yeah. We're, we're learning more on it. And so I like to start with the low hanging fruit, like you said, Sean, and talk about physical activity, exercise, nutrition, sleep, stress, and tobacco. Those are my, my big five mm-hmm. I'll talk about and make sure that we're addressing those. You know, we might go one at a time, but I want to make sure that we're at least discussing them and see where the low hanging fruit is out of those five mm-hmm. and try to make some change in, in the health piece to help with their, their pain experience. Yeah. Would love to talk about that one too, that low hanging fruit. Um, so you had the, the one on here next to the one that you want to ask, right? The- yeah, y'all hit on this. So um, I just was going to ask in terms of, you know, me, when I was in the hospital, we would have patients and we would ask, okay, what's, what's your pain score on a level of zero to 10? And, yeah. you know, y'all asked that too. But um, it was interesting, like before they would find out their diagnosis, um, typically the pain score in, in most cases would increase after they found out what they had. And right. I I guess my question 
is how much does perceived pain affect, or I guess I, I think my wording is wrong, but if, if we're told we have something after the fact, does that increase our pain score? Like can we intuitively know we have something that could cause pain? Yeah. I think the majority of people would probably does, you know, yeah. um, cause we're told that something's wrong with us. And I think that's a problem with our, uh, healthcare system in a lot of ways. We over medicalize things. You know, we talk about degenerative disc disease and people think that they're going to have, you know, major problems because of that. And, uh, I, I'm a big analogy guy, as you found out. And, uh, I love the the analogy of wrinkles and how as we age, we get wrinkles on the outside. That's just the way it is. And just because you have wrinkles, we don't look go out to, you know, uh, the grocery store and say, hey, that person's wrinkles, therefore they have pain. That person's wrinkles, therefore they have pain. That person doesn't have wrinkles. They must be feeling fine. We're not saying that, right? Wrinkles just happen. Right. Um, but as we age, things on x-rays and MRIs, we look at them and say, oh, they got DDD. They got degenerative disc disease they must have pain, you know, that's the reason for their pain. And it's just not that, not the case. Yeah. Yeah. And so those are just wrinkles on the inside. And that's the, the analogy. And uh, I just think that's, I think it's a great way to understand that yeah. sort of thing. That. But yeah, ultimately pain scales are hard. Um, yeah. When we go into, into that and it is very specific to the person. And yeah. Um, I, I think just people knowing that something's wrong, with them from what a doctor has told them carries a lot of weight and it, it will increase that. Yeah. 100%. I'm sure you'll have to implement a lot of psychological strategies in as well to kind uh, of help rebalance sure. that pain scale. And you do too with what you do with nutrition. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So what role that rolls in the last, or what role do you think good nutrition and fitness play in how we perceive pain or feel pain? Yeah. I'll defer this to, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I would. I would, but um, I'm not, you know, an RD or anything of that sort, but I do know that it does play a significant role and I, I do address it uh, in the clinic, <laughs> at least on a small scale. And if I feel like they need more help, then I'll, I'll defer out from there. But I know that, you know, food is more than just energy. It is information. And Ooh, that's good. Um, mm. I, I'm still on all this from other people. Hello. So, <laughs> But it is, and it, it does change, you know, I'm not going to go in detail about epigenetics or anything of that sort, but it does change our, the way our genes can be expressed based off what we eat and the different markers, um, you know, blood markers and inflammation and all this different type of stuff, low-level inflammation, uh, depending on who you read and, and what, you know, they, they, they think is going on with systemic problems. So nutrition definitely plays a huge role in it and it's low hanging fruit it's just hard to change right habits atomic habits it's hard to do um, it's hard it's hard um so that's the piece and then you know we talk about fitness and health and um i think you have to define the two because you know competing in the sport of crossfit fitness can be very unhealthy yes. um so we have to talk about like exercise as, as a health um piece versus a fitness piece and going into that and i think that uh, exercise is one of the biggest ways to combat pain. Yeah. Um, you know, aerobic exercise for just systemic problems and then even, you know, very isolated contractions to a specific area for local uh, pain relief, isometrics uh, for tendons and all, all these different things. I think that they play a huge role in that. Uh, okay. So these are questions that we end every podcast on and we just like to know something that you're doing right now that's making your life better. It could be a new habit or it could be something you've done your whole life. 
Yeah. And that is a hard answer. And I've thought about it a little bit since it's been cut off. <laughs> uh, um, but I think what I was saying before it cut off was I've always enjoyed, um, like, you know, a lot of people hated middle school, hated high school, but they enjoyed a certain area of, of a certain time of life. And I really have, I think, enjoyed uh, life for the most part. So I'm super thankful for that. Mm. Um, but uh, right now what I'm doing um, and I'm passionate about, and I feel like life is better because of it. Um, it's, you know, weird time with coronavirus, but I'm, I'm very thankful um, for work and for business. And I'm starting to see that I think God has gifted me with special um, desire to, to build businesses and um, and work in, in the business world more so than just PT. And yeah. so learning more about that and uh, just enjoying work and seeing the purpose of work and seeing that, you know, God uh, designed us to, to work and being able to enjoy that. I feel like that's really making my life better, honestly. And um, just, you know, continue to deepen relationships. And I talk about it often to Rachel. Don't want to get too deep here now. Um, but, um, just how life is always uh, better with someone else. Um, personally, it is for me, at least. Like, I, I can go to the Grand Canyon. Uh, and I went recently. I think how I got brought up, actually. Like, the Grand Canyon would have been a lot of fun by myself. Um, but just to be able to enjoy the Grand Canyon with someone else is so much more fun. Yeah. And so just, you know, having relationships and continuing to deepen those relationships, um, I feel like is, and being able to have, you know, experiences with those people that, that I love and enjoy to be around. Mm. Um, I think it makes my life better. So this podcast was making my life better. Oh, amen. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So kind of on that same strain and we're trying to get into something maybe you've done in the past, but, um, what is something that you are not doing right now, but you know would make your life better if you were to start doing that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's going to be a convicting uh, question. Um, but our, a couple things, a couple things. I think one would be getting more consistent with exercise. Uh, I've been getting three days a week. That's been my goal. Um, that's been my goal. <laughs> For the past little while, we're starting this business, so um, we've we've kind of set out to keep each other accountable at our clinic um, because we know the importance of it. But it is so easy um, to put aside our own health for other people's health, and yeah. um, you know, ultimately, it goes so far, but it's not sustainable either. And, and we need to keep ourselves healthy to be able to keep other, you know, to, to help other people be healthy. And, yeah. um, so yeah, I think getting more consistent with exercise, I would like to get back up to, you know, five days a week. That would be a lot of fun. Um, and I think I'd feel better too. And I've shifted my, my, I guess, approach to exercise. Like I just want to move. I don't care to compete. I, I would like to keep everything at a conversation pace for the most part. <laughs> um, like that's fun to me. Lift heavy weights. And then do some aerobic work and, you know, make sure it's truly aerobic and keeping conversation pace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like that is fun and I would enjoy that. But I don't really have a desire to jump over a box um, or anything of that sort right now. So yeah. <laughs> I just want to squat, deadlift, bench, and ride a bike and 
run a little bit and do some circuit stuff. I think that's good. Love I it. like that. Yeah. Cool. So that's one. And then also I think just being still, like sitting down. I know, Sean, you're probably right there with me. Ellie, you're convicting me maybe so. These topics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's hard for me to do, just be still. Mm-hmm. And not just be still and read a book and learn. Like, I just want to, can I sit down and just sit down? I, I don't know. That's hard for me to do, just sit down and sit down. Or, or read something that's fictional and not always trying to learn. I love to learn, but I just think I need to sit and watch something that makes no sense. Like some some story that was some movie or something that, has no, you know, realistic uh, component to it. I feel like that would probably be healthy for me because I don't necessarily care to do that all the time. Yeah. You know, That's awesome. just be still. I love it. You're convicting me right now with the be still stuff. Okay. <laughs> um, um, well, how can people find out more about Refine and um, if they live in Mobile or have a family member, how can they contact you? We'll get, we'll put all this in the show notes. Yeah. Cool. So, um, our website is www.refineptp.com. That is PTP, pizza, taco, pizza, or potato, tomato, potato.com. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm more sure like those. <laughs> so it's not refinept.com, it's refinedptp. So potato, tomato, potato, or pizza, taco, pizza, or Peter, Tom, Peter, whichever one you want to say. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we got it. The PTP. We got it. <laughs> We're gonna put it. We'll type it out and emphasize the PTP. With insurance, um, I always have to reiterate because they always want to say refinedpt.com, and I have to always say PTP, and then I have to go into those. So, gotcha. love it. Yep. Same thing on Instagram. Refinedptp, um, and then my personal one. It's K W Thibodeau, last name. Um, it'll be in the show notes. So great. Cool. We'll put all that in the show notes and. The last thing I want to ask you, and you've already always got a good one. What is one good quote that we can end this episode on? Oh gosh, a that's good a hard quote. question. That's a very hard question. Um, I don't know if I have one quote. You gotta have one. You can't have two. It's gotta be one. You can squeeze two in. I put this quote. I have to think about this quote and put it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wait, no, no. <laughs> you want to put them on the spot? No, you just just give us one. If it's a bottle, we're gonna sit here in silence. We're gonna be still. <laughs> we're gonna be still. I don't have to think about this one. It can be. It 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 doesn't. We won't hold it to you as your death, like as the quote we would put on your tombstone. But yeah, just something recently that you've enjoyed. A quote. Okay, I'll give you a quote I really like. Um, I'll have to look it up to to not butcher it. Can I do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll yeah. Give you some I'll clip to it. <laughs> All right, so this is a combination of work and faith. Is this from a book? What's the book? There's a book out there about work and faith. Is it? Um, there's there's a quite a few. I've read the one from Tim Keller on Every Good Endeavor. Yes, that one. It's really good. I have another one I'm reading right now. It's really good. But all right, you ready? Let's mm-hmm. do it. The Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on his shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Hmm. I like that. That is beautiful. And who said that? Martin Luther. Martin Luther. All right. Wow. That's what that's what they said. So maybe he didn't actually say that, but um, everyone on Google says he said that. But I've read <laughs> it in a lot of books on work and faith, and just knowing that hey, like we're called to do good work, 
and that is a part of our duty um, or our you know calling as as Christians is to do good work, not just to put little crosses on the shoes mm. or to tell everyone uh, about what we believe all the time, but just to provide good care and to love people. That is uh, a part of work too, you know. That's awesome. Amen. That's my quote. I love I it. Quote. I love it. That's Kyle, good. dude, thank you so much for being on. This was awesome. Yeah, I thanks, Kyle. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank you, man. I enjoyed All right, it. I'm I always want to hang out with y'all.